So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome into another episode of So Rare in the States Baseball. My name is Chris, the MLS card guy. Today, I am joined by my co-host. This is Daniel. How are you today, Trippin' B? I'm doing great, Chris. I'm doing absolutely fantastic. It's baseball. It's here. It's MLB. Life is good. I, I, I'm. It was a wild day just watching the auctions. Oh, my God. You know, I, I wanted to get up early. I was hoping. I So Rare, when they made the announcement, you know, they were doing all this teasing, but they never gave any like exact time or explanation of how the onboarding of how you would get your commons was going to be compared to the soccer experience. So, but it was really cool that I, right when I woke up, it was there for me. It was the, one of the first things I did this morning was get all my common cards and uh, I have a team. I have, I have a club now. It's really, really an exciting time when you can onboard and you can start a brand new game. If you are just signing up to so rare, make sure you use the link in the description and let so rare know that you enjoyed our content and wanted to sign up for the show just helps us out a little bit. So we really, really appreciate that. Who is your, who's your number one comment that you got to pick? So my number, my common choices weren't great. And, and actually it turned out there was a trick that we found out later that you could actually like guarantee yourself a Shohei Otani card. If you just kept refreshing the page, some people found that out. I was too eager to just get going. So I didn't <laughs> even think about that. I was just like, okay, here's my options. I took uh, one of your boys, you're a Braves fan, right? Oh yeah. Big time. Dansby Swanson. Dansby Swanson is my, was my common card. Uh, the, the Vandy boy, the shortstop. I love Lieutenant Dans. He's one of my favorite. I've been following him since he was in college. I, I covered him just, you know, in one of my other jobs uh, working at Van when he was at Vanderbilt. So it was pretty awesome to uh, see him starting to thrive lately in the majors. And uh, he's in my collection now. I love it. I was uh, very upset because I did not get to select the Braves and I did not get a Brave common either. In fact, mm. I got about the furthest thing from a Brave. I got Juan Soto, the new home run Oof. derby champ, who is not only a national now, but probably ends up with the Mets or the Dodgers or one of these stupid teams that everybody hates. Um, so we are going to do a little two-part series. We're going to do this week and then next week. So we're going to look at this angle or th this issue from both sides. We're going to say, okay, so rare for... Um, for dummies. And we're going to say, okay, if you're a baseball guy that's new to so rare, this will be this week. And then if you're a so rare guy that's new to baseball, we'll take a look at that coming up next week. So this week we're going to be focused on a lot more of the so rare nuances and things that if you've been playing the game, you probably know a little bit about, but we are going to obviously drop some baseball knowledge in here as well. Um, and then next week we'll take a look more at the baseball side of things and really dive into players and that kind of thing. So we are joined by our very first guest here on Sower in the States Baseball. Uh, this is a man that I actually work with at the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Um, so two, two soccer team employees that know a little bit about baseball. Our guest today is Alec Marvitz. How are you doing today, Alec? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? Oh, you know, living the dream. We had a quite a day in the office trying to keep up with everything, but uh we uh we actually both just got on the board before we started the show here. Both picked up our first limiteds. Who did you end up getting uh, as your limited? 
Yeah. So I actually ended up getting Jorge Soler as my first limited. So um, really kind of as a, uh, as a Cubs fan, wanted to go out and either get a Cub or at least a former Cubs. So, um, you know, saw a good price on, on Soler and, and had to just jump on it. You did definitely pick him up for a good price as well. And I guess while we're talking about it, who did you get for your comment? Uh, so I actually got lucky. I know you guys were talking about um, having to hit refresh to, to land Otani. I got lucky enough and, uh, and got Shohei Otani right off the jump. So really made that uh, that common decision pretty easy for me. So how did you uh, how did you cheat and get Shohei Otani uh, right off the jump? Who, who did you bribe at Sower to get that? Yeah. So the key was my internet was atrocious this morning. So I just kind of kept hitting refresh just to try and sign in. And uh, in that process must have just given me uh, you know some good luck there. Hey, hey, hey. It was a little buggy for everyone. I think I, I had some issues as the first auctions were kind of ending. I was trying to pick up that AJ Minter card at the very start and uh, and had a little issue with the Internet and couldn't end up getting the, the, the last couple of bids in. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about about the bugs and everything. But obviously, Alec, a big Cubs fan, he's been following the game for a long, long time. So he definitely knows what he's talking about. And he's heard me. Uh, Sometimes bitching about so rare, sometimes praising so rare uh, on the soccer side forever. Uh, I told him that baseball was coming and he is on board. He's ready to go. He's got the uh, the founder's badge on the discord. So he he is all ready for this thing. So um, we will just hop straight on into things here um, and we'll just kind of go through what a basic game week looks like. Right. We'll we'll say, um, how do you kind of set your teams? What do the different competitions look like? Um, and that way you can kind of get an idea of, of um, what each week is going to look like week to week. And then if we, if you have any questions as we're going through this, Alec, um, definitely feel free to ask us as well. But I guess we'll start with, with you tripping. Um, what do you, what does your normal game week look like to, as far as like setting lineups? When are you checking things and, uh, and, and how do you know which lineups to set in which competitions? Soccer's a little, the soccer side of it is a lot more complex because in addition to the scarcities, they also have regional divisions. There's like a European only division, an America only division, an Asia only division. In, in MLB, there's only the Major League Baseball. So they don't really have like the regional split like that, but that could come. We don't know. But because of that, it's a lot simpler uh, as, of an approach. What I usually do, I'm, I'm kind of a leave it late type of guy. I, I usually, sometimes I've done this. Again, I'm trying to, if I skip over anything, feel free to remind me, like if I mention a concept and, and, and you catch me or Alec or Chris, you say, Hey, well, what is that that you just referenced? Then, uh, then stop me. But like, we want to break things down in terms of game weeks. What's a game week. Well, it's a stretch of a couple of days where all the competitions that happen on those days count together in the same contest. So in soccer, the game weeks run Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is one game week. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday is the other game week. And I believe that's the way it's going to work in baseball as well, right? It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the game week. So it's slightly shifted, yeah, which is a little bit good. different. But yeah. you don't want the same deadlines, I don't think, on on the sports anyway, because there's so much like processing with like closing the game week and finalizing the standings and things like that, and giving the yeah. rewards. So that makes sense. And also with the way baseball is scheduled, usually new series start on Monday, right. uh, in general with the baseball schedule. So that makes sense. So. The way this is going to work is uh, there's two game weeks in a week. So you're going to put in your team on Sunday night, basically. The, the deadline, I don't know if they set an hour. Is the deadline? Is it The deadline is right before the games lock each, each day. So like on gotcha. Monday before the games lock and then on Friday, I guess, before the games lock. 
So that's good. So that helps, you know, if you're in America trying to play so rare soccer, your locks times come at like 6 a.m., 5 a.m., 4 a.m., yeah. 3 a.m., depending on your time zone. So this is going to be a little bit more U.S. friendly. The soccer deadlines are more European friendly, which makes sense. The football deadlines, we'll call them, since we're talking about Europe. But so, yeah, so baseball, you're going to have all day, basically. Instead of having to, like what I do, because the deadline for soccer is 6 a.m. the next day, I'm usually stay up late, get as much, wait for as much news as I can. I'm trying to, like, gather every little bit of information about Will my player play? Will he start in the game? Does he have a good matchup? Does the coach say this and this might happen, et cetera? So you kind of wait and you leave it late. And then, then eventually you just go to bed. Cause you know, I, so I'm usually setting lineups like around midnight on, on a, uh, a Monday night or a, a Thursday night to get my soccer stuff in. This is a lot more user-friendly with baseball in terms of it's at more of a reasonable hour. It's in the evening lock. You're going to have all day um, on Monday to sort of see what the news is, what, what injury might have been updated and things like that. And I like that. I, I think Mondays are, are going to become, you know, very busy days. Monday, Mondays and, uh, and Fridays are going to be fun. Like, you're going to be, like, trading stories, you know, oh, hey, I got this bit of news. You know, people find build these communities in the so rare soccer world. I'm sure the same thing will happen in, in baseball. And I'm excited to see what emerges. But the basic – that's a long answer to basically get to your question of – you have two different times where you need to set a lineup and put it in, and then you just get back to sit back and watch. So it's kind of nice. It's kind of like a blend of daily fantasy and season long. You get sort of the best of all worlds where it's short-term contest, but it does last more than just one day. So you can sort of sit back and watch. Like I said, you get to just, it, it's so fun. Like if you haven't played the game, if you're just a baseball fan who has nothing, no knowledge of so rare, you know, before this week, that's who this specific episode is targeted to. Let me just tell you, it's really fun to just like have your team in and know, be anticipating, you know, I can't wait for this game to start because my guy's in. It's great. It's going to be so much fun. So, Alec, having played a lot of, you've played a lot of fantasy baseball in the past. Um, do you, and we just kind of briefly explain, explain what the process is. Obviously, we haven't gone through it yet with the game week. The first one will start Friday. But what do you what do you anticipate being the differences or what do you anticipate being the similarities between between this and like normal, normal, quote unquote, fantasy? Yes, I think, um, you know, definitely having game weeks is one of the biggest similarities and differences. Um, So, for example, the league that I'm currently in, um, it is a week long matchup. So your lineup locks um, at each player's first game, whether it's on Monday or Tuesday. And after that point, you can't change your lineup until that following. Um, So, you know, already used to um, game weeks as a fantasy baseball player. But one of the things that I'm really looking forward to with so rare is kind of breaking it up into the, um, I guess you can call it game week or series where you'll have that Monday through Thursday and then the ability to adjust your lineup where if you have a guy who's going to, you know, he's projected to start on Monday, you know, you can throw him in that first game week and then sub him out. Um, for that second game week, or if a guy gets hurt on, let's say, Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, you can make that adjustment later in the week. So um, and then kind of having that broken down um, game week where you can still make those adjustments on the fly as opposed to, you know, in my current league, if if my star player, for example, gets hurt on Monday, I'm kind of SOL at that position until that following week. Yeah. And you also get two chances to win rewards, right? You can have a good midweek or you can have a good weekend. Um, So I think you'll see a lot more kind of matchups being played here. I think you'll see a lot of stacks going against this, the weaker teams Mm -hmm. um, because it is only one series. You're, you're going to play most of those, if not all of those games, typically all of those games against one specific team. So um, yeah, I think it's going to be, it, 
it can be nice in some ways if you've got a stack that's playing against a, a pretty pretty poor team or i mean if you've got a stack playing against the yankees then you might be just having a rough game week but those kinds of things happen yeah and that's that's kind of the way you have to decide how hard you want to play at that point do you want to because like alec I, I imagine you're very familiar from season long with the concept of streaming streaming hitters streaming pitchers you know you just drop a guy pick up another one from the waiver wire just whenever you need us to fill a slot in your lineup for a day within the game week i don't know if your league does that but many leagues do in this case, you can do that. You can you can plot out. You can look you know a week and a half ahead on the calendar and see oh you know this is who's playing the cellar dwellers you know back to back in two series. I want to get some guys from this team, and it could get expensive. You're gonna have to buy them. You can't just like add and drop them for free on the waiver wire like a lot of fantasy sites. But that way of sort of playing matchups and attacking you know the the very near future of the schedule is something you can do in sober. So there's a parallelism there for sure. Yeah, and I'm actually glad you brought up uh, the streamer thing. Chris and I were actually talking about that um, kind of on the, the fantasy football side, but um, talking about how both of us typically in our separate leagues are the two guys making the most you know, transactions each week. So um, from a personal standpoint, it's going to be tough to you know, not want to just pick up some guy because he's got a good uh, matchup coming up. Otherwise, that, uh, that budget on SoRare is going to really start to, to bleed thin pretty quick. See, I've been called the trade king because I make so many moves. I made 48 moves in one fantasy football season once. It was way too much. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's obviously a big thing. And that is something that you can do. So that's something that you have to kind of consider when you're building your gallery. If you're new to so rare is if, if you want to play matchups and you want to stream guys, you should probably be playing at a, at a lower division and have more cards. I have a bigger gallery. So you have more options to choose from. Whereas, you know, if you just want to do the minimum, you can just submit seven cards and just have one lineup each week and just submit that lineup. But typically you're going to want to, you're going to want to have some options, right? You're going to want to give yourself a chance to um, play a little bit of the matchup. So um, it can be beneficial to pick up some guys for just a series. Sometimes they can be hard to sell. Sometimes they can be really easy to sell. You know, sometimes they play that that series and they go off and then people go, oh, well, this guy's really great. So they all go and buy him and you actually make a, a profit on the on the trade itself, which I did with the Atlas stack last year, which was a lot of fun in soccer. But um, yeah, so I mean, there's there's plenty of ways. And this is one thing I love about Sower. There's tons of ways to skin the cat, right? You can go mm -hmm. for rewards. You can have a big gallery, small gallery. You can try to trade. You can do all kinds of things. It really is up to you and your personal play style as to, as to how you want to go about um, um, building your gallery and, and really enjoying the game in general. Um, so let's talk a little bit about buying cards, right? We have um, a couple different ways to buy cards. Um, so the easiest and the, the first way that a lot of people have been doing today, obviously, is off of auction. It's directly from SoRare. So when SoRare mints a brand new card, they are going to auction it off to the general public. Whoever bids the most gets that card. Once that card is then owned by somebody, they can sell it to somebody else directly. Um, that's called the secondary market. Um, that you don't have auctions. You just have basically buy now prices. And one of the things that um, one of the little gripes that I've had that I couldn't do was I can't make an offer for lower than their buy now price right now, which is just mind blowing to me as someone who constantly is offering like 10% less than whatever someone wants to actually list it for. Um, right. That's, so that's one of those at this point, day one, but I would call that a day yeah. one bug. If you're brand new, if you didn't play so rare soccer, but you jumped in on baseball and you're like, 
well, how come I can't offer less than the asking price? That'll that should be here. Hopefully, that's yeah. A lot. Yeah, a lot we of expect things, a lot of the features that uh, seem to be missing from the MLB side as compared to the football side right now. Correct. Yeah, there's like three or four. They're for me. They're kind of major. Like I would say they're more like you know first week type of things. I don't know how long it actually gets. You know how long they take to implement. We were talking before about how sober can sometimes feel like they're taking a long time to do simple things. Um, but eventually they always end up getting it right. Um, mm-hmm. So that is definitely going to be one of those things to keep an eye on. But anyway, so we have a, a primary market, secondary market. At this point in time, there are still no gas fees on either the primary or the secondary. So covers all the gas fees. Um, they have said that they're committed to doing that long term, just so that everybody knows kind of what's happening behind the scenes. If you're not a, a crypto expert, um, what's kind of the process when you transfer one card to another uh, tripping as far as when the card moves from like when I buy a card for on the secondary market. Yeah. Yeah. It, it usually just, it, uh, it takes a few minutes, you know, you buy it, you, you, you put in an offer so, and you hope they accept, then the other person has the chance to accept it or reject it. And you'll usually get a notification. Again, that's another thing. There's a, usually a little on the soccer side, there's a, up by the, the top right corner of the screen by where it shows sort of your wallet balance and your avatar, there'll be a little, uh, notification bell that I'm sure the so rare will be adding along with a search bar to find specific uh, baseball players and things like that. And yeah, it takes a few minutes, but it, it's really cool actually to watch sort of, it, it says on the screen, like transfer in progress. And then you go to your home gallery club, you know, my cards, I get, they're calling it my cards gallery, sort of a soccer term that I keep porting over, but I should use the terms that are actually on the site, which is, it says my cards. So you, you know, it's cool though. Like you, you go to the, secondary market or the auction market and you you settle a deal and you, you make a purchase and then you click on the my cards tab and there, there it shows up and then you got you got access to it and you can put it in the lineup uh and the bid the bidding thing kind of works uh we should explain that when you're bidding every bid at the lo- when you first start an auction every bid needs to be 10 percent higher than the current price so if it, if a card is sitting at like 0.02 then your next highest bid needs to be 0.022 and then the next one would be need to be, you know, 0.024 uh, and some decimals, you know, it gets decimally pretty quick there. But then as it gets higher, as you get into, you know, bidding a full ether or, or things like that, then the increments get smaller and you can make sort of smaller overbids once the price starts to get high. So you don't have to go like super high every time just to make the next bid. But that's it is important to know that 10 percent rule when you're first yeah. making a bid like. If you see a guy and the, the current highest bid is X, you, you usually need to go 10% or a little bit less. as you And if you, if you click buy now or bid now, it, it'll tell you what 10% is. It doesn't just, you don't have to like right. do the math in your head. It just tells you this is the minimum you have to bid. You are allowed to bid anything over that. Like you can bid as much as you want. Yeah, you um, can type not, in as much as you want. Yeah. It's not like eBay though. You're not putting in a max bid. Whatever you bid is what you bid. So if you end up winning, that's what you end up paying. Um, right. So now that's now a I really like, good point. That's a really good point yeah. that I just want to follow up on because this happened to a friend of mine. He accidentally put his decimal in the wrong place today. He bought a card for 10 times mm-hmm. more than he meant to do. And I have done this in, in the football soccer world for sure when I first started. So if you're new to so rare, you love baseball, you want to check out this platform. Hey, I'm going to put some bids. Just be real careful with your decimals. I, it, it sucks to like have to to eat that mistake when you do it because yeah. I've done it. I've paid 10, 10 times more than I wanted to for a card before. It gets expensive. Just be careful. They, there's and, some fail safes built into the yeah. system, but but you got to be careful. 
it'll come up and say you're bidding one and a half times the current price. Are you sure you want to do that? And you have to check it. But yeah, it, it's still definitely something to watch. Um, now, Alec, you went through and you you actually have already gotten a car here. You've got a Jorge Soler. Can you talk about a little bit like maybe what the process was like? What you, Was it anything like what you expected? Was there any questions that you had as you were going through or uh, or was it just pretty a, a simple, easy process? Yeah, so I didn't really know um, exactly what to expect, obviously being brand new to um, So Rare, but um, kind of I'm glad you guys brought up the, um, you know, what you put in your bid at, that is your bid, that's not the highest. Um, I know we had talked about that earlier today. Um, so I'm, you know, kind of looking at it as, you know, if I see a card that's still at, um, you know, very, very underpriced kind of the ETH and it's it's starting to run low on time rather than simply just kind of bumping it up by 10%, you know, kind of upbidding it by, you know, maybe close to what I think the actual value is to kind of, you know, not set my maximum at there, um, but that way it's kind of putting it close. Um, and that's actually kind of what I ended up doing with that Jorge Soler. I said, I think that, that you know, that this card is worth, you know, X so I put a little bit under that. And I knew if someone put that one bid in, I'd be able to go one higher and that would be my max. So I'm um, just kind of tracking it through there. Um, but I thought it was actually pretty helpful as well. Um, you know, you get an email notification if you get outbid. So that kind of works for um, not as time's running down, but if you're putting one that's still got a couple hours. Um, so there were a lot of cards I missed out on today. So my, my email inbox right now is, is flooded. So um, got to kind of go back and look through and be like, ah, oh, that would have been a good card to have. But I'm glad I got one and, you know, I thought overall it was a, a pretty easy process to put some bids on it. I put in like eight bids on Dansby Swanson and my email is just not liking it right now. I know <laughs> also Nellis was telling me he was in a bidding war for the Acuna, uh, the one of one of 5,000, and he was going to go for Shohei Otani and, and Vlad Guerrero. And they said that his, uh, his credit card like canceled him and locked him out because it was like, you're doing, you're doing some crazy stuff here, John, we're not going to let you do this anymore. Um, so that's another thing. If you are bidding with a credit card, um, sometimes your bank can, um, think it's weird if you, so the reason that banks do this, if, if, when you make a bid, so is going to hold that money on your card until the bid is actually done. And if, if you win the auction, then they go ahead and charge the card just like a normal transaction would. But if you lose the auction, then that money comes back to your card. And if that happens three or four times, especially if you haven't done it before, your bank will a lot of times give you a notification like, hey, what's going on? Because that's not really normal activity. Um, so just be aware of that if you are going to try to use uh, uh, like a credit card in order to fund things. Um, that's, a, that's a question I yeah. had. And I would love to get quick, just follow up with Alec, like, you, were you bidding on your credit card or did you deposit ETH? Uh, so Chris and I worked out a little trade here um, this Ooh. morning to kind of put ETH directly on my account as well. Love, love, love collusion. Love admitting to so. collusion in the public forum. That's great. Um, yeah, exactly. I, we, should explain, we should explain that for people like there's going to be many people who are baseball fans, who are collector fans, who are fantasy fans that just want nothing to do with cryptocurrency. Yeah, and I totally get it. So we should just explain how you can bid on cards just through your credit card. Or you can like deposit Ethereum, you can buy Ethereum and deposit it onto the site and just like have like a running balance in your wallet on the site. You have two options. And one way, one thing people do a lot of times is they'll buy their first few cards on their credit card because they don't want to go through the hoops of like getting a Coinbase app and a uh, Ethereum wallet yeah. and all that stuff online. So you buy a few cards with your credit card and then you sell those cards and you have Ethereum on the site. You sort of have the, the in-game currency then that way. And like you just said, Alec, that's really cool. Uh, Chris found a way to, you know, you can transfer Ethereum through the site by sending it directly to someone. 
uh, in exchange for a card or not exchange in exchange for a card. Actually, you can make so rare cover that fee, that uh, transaction fee, no problem. And uh, there's different ways to do it. But if you bid on your credit card, you should know that like if you get outbid, it's just like an authorization, right? It doesn't necessarily charge you. So like if you get outbid, yeah. then it'll re it'll refund that authorization. And different people's cards work differently. But if you're not into crypto, don't let that be a hindrance to you to get into this game because it's a great game. And you can kind of dip your toes into the crypto world without having to really dive in in a couple different ways to, to purchase cards on the site and then get uh, yourself some hands on the in-game currency. And especially once you're actually in the game, you really don't notice the crypto aspect of it all. Right. Like exactly. you can honestly just play in dollars and not even worry about crypto. Um, it's just getting the money onto the site and getting the money off of the site. You have to go a little crypto nerdy on there. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it, once you're actually in it and you have a little bit of a balance and you have some cards that you can kind of trade with and all this stuff then you don't even really notice that it's, it's crypto or NFTs or any of that stuff. Um, and I just want to point out that we did clear it was so rare first. I sent an email to our guy. So we made sure it was okay before we, we pulled this little tree. <laughs> um, so let's talk about training. So training is a really underrated thing that a lot of beginners don't do slash don't know how to do slash don't know the importance of. And training is very important because of XP. And I know XP was something that Alec was really, really um, interested in. And I told him to wait until the show. So this is going to be a live reaction. We're going to see if we have some, some questions from Alec. So XP is essentially, um, it's a bonus that accrues as you play the player in lineups. They'll get whatever they score in their, it's very technical, but whatever they score as their player score, they get a percentage of that in XP and then whatever the team scores. So the lineup around them, whatever that team scores, they get a percentage of that in XP. Um, so the more XP you have, the higher your bonus is. And then the bonuses actually apply to in game. So if your player scores a five in game and he's a 10% bonus, then you get an extra half a point essentially. Um, so it can be, especially at like lower levels, like limiteds, where a lot of the top guys are owned by a lot of different lineups, uh, training and XP can be the difference between finishing pretty high and, and finishing kind of in the middle. But it, it's sort of like a tiebreaker, but it's very, very important. So I guess uh, talk a little bit about how you go about setting training lineups when you know you're supposed to put someone in training versus a, an actual league um, and, and, and kind of that whole process. Well, I think the most important thing is that if you – if you build out all your teams, let's say you, you know, buy 25 cards and, and you find yourself playing in the rare division and the limited division and the common division, you got three teams going, you still need to make sure that any cards left over that you aren't using in lineups that are in contests go into training lineups because that XP is, is critical. And you have to, it's kind of a tedious thing. It's kind of like a, it's kind of so rare's way to reward you for doing the little things and putting in the work in my mind. Everyone complains about it but those who don't do it end up generally suffering. Like if you, if you won't go through and take the, you know, depending on how many cards you have, it could take anywhere from five to 30 minutes to like build extra lineups that have no chance of winning any prizes. But what you're doing is enhancing the cards. You're making these cards better for the next time that you would theoretically use them in a contest by building up their XP, which increases the bonus, which increases the score that they're able to get once you actually put them in a contest. So it's very important. And it's one of the last things I do. And, the good news is it, it the site will save your training teams over from week to week. So 
once you put them in, as long as you haven't sold any of the cards or moved or, you know, moved any of the cards around that were in those training lineups, it, it is a one button click to just like renew them for the week when each, when each game week opens, which is nice. Although I'm pretty active. So I'm always redoing my training lineups, but in theory, you might not have to put that much work into it, but it's just an important thing to remind yourself to do. It's one of those things that everybody complains about it, but if you do it, you get a, uh, some advantage and some edge, which, you know, in this, in a game like this, any edge helps. It's the way, because like, especially because there's so many of these cards, like there's 5,000 limited versions of each card. Right. So like, well, how do you distinguish one that's better than the other? It can be, it's the XP and it's the, the level of commitment that the owners put them into training to make sure their, their cards got a little bit of a training bonus. So that like, let's say my limited Mike judge versus your limited Mike judge. I was lazy and I skipped training a few weeks. I only have a 3% bonus on my card and you have a 5% bonus on the card. And we both end up one, two in the standings, you know, with the exact same lineup, let's say, but your 5% judge bonus versus my three carried you to first place. You know, so that that's very, you know, when you get to the top of these uh, tournaments, we'll talk about, we'll go, we're about to break down tournaments in a minute here, but when you're at the top of these leaderboards and you're fighting for every place to get rewards in a tournament, it gets down to like fractions of a point can make a difference in your place in the standing. So every point counts, every fraction of a point counts, every training week counts and uh, do the training. It's, it's tedious, but it's important. So there's one more big thing on XP that we have to go over, but first, do we have any questions about what we've explained so far, Alec? Uh, not necessarily a question, just a, a comment. I mean, definitely sounds like, you know, doing training, although it can kind of be a little tedious is a, is a huge part of the game. Um, but it really sounds like Sober tries to make it as easy as possible, um, allowing you to kind of, you know, use that same lineup, um, which I'm not sure if it's as easy as the click of a button, but, you know, kind of reusing those previous lineups. So um, if you have to just swap out one card here or there, but other than that, everything else is the same you know, really kind of keeping it the same. And, um, you know, I've, I've played a couple of, you know, daily fantasy before and gotten burned by, you know, a decimal of a point or I needed two more yards. So, you know, definitely going to be um, training every week and making sure that these guys are getting that biggest, they're as uh, big of a bonus as possible. Yeah. So there's all kinds of different philosophies on how you should train um, and like who you should put together with who to make sure that who gets the biggest bonus. There's no captains in this one. So it makes it a little easier, I think, but it, it, it is important if you, if you have a card say that is like, let's say judge gets hurt and he's on the 10 day DL and you're not going to use him for the next two weeks, make sure you're putting his card with a bunch of other cards that will play because part of that XP bonus is how much the team scores. If you put them with a bunch of backup relievers that have been sent down to the minors that won't ever play, he won't gain as much XP as if you put him with, you know, your common Clayton Kershaw and your common Yordi Alvarez, you know? Um, so it, there is a little bit of a nuance to it. It doesn't make a huge difference, but you definitely kind of want to think through and prioritize like who your top cards are that you're going to send to training and put those with some other guys that maybe are top cards if they're going to be playing. Um, so that's important. The, the other thing that I wanted to bring up about the XP is Every time you trade for or trade away a player, their XP level gets or their XP total gets halved. So that doesn't necessarily mean that their bonus gets halved because the the way that the structure is it, it's exponential growth, but their their total XP gets gets put in half. So if you have 
a card that's got an 8% bonus and then you sell it to somebody else, when they end up getting the card, it's like a six and a half percent bonus. So it'll, you'll drop it a little bit. So you don't want to, it, it's kind of the, the discourager from streaming, right? Because if you go and buy mm-hmm. someone off the market, you're probably buying them at 5%, which is the, the current season bonus. Um, you're probably buying them at 5%. They probably don't have any XP and you're not getting the same level of edge, so to speak, as a guy that has kept this guy on his roster since the beginning of August and has built up an 8% XP. So you kind of want to keep cards if you can, if you think they're going to be a long-term piece, um, you kind of want to keep cards and, and build up the XP as opposed to, you know, moving cards around a lot, trading cards, loaning cards. It, it just kind of takes the takes the overall edge out of it for you. Anything that I missed on on XP there? No, you, you nailed it. And again, I think when you have a smaller gallery, you should take the time to make sure your training lineups are kind of correlated. I'll admit now that I'm, you know, sitting on a gallery of 200 soccer cards, I usually just like quick yeah. fire. Get my train. I don't necessarily make sure that, oh, this guy's with this guy in training to like total, uh, maybe I'll get 720, you know, XP points instead of 700, 705, you know, it gets a little too tedious at that level, yeah. but if I had a smaller gallery, I would pay more attention to that. I think it's something that people should be focused on when they start their baseball collections. I'd say 90% of the battle is just having a guy in training. And then yeah. you can kind of get an extra, like maybe 10% if you really want to optimize it. Um, mm-hmm. But the the big thing is to have cards in training. Um, so with that being said, Alec, are you ever going to get rid of your Jorge Soler now that you know that you can get a huge bonus on him? Uh, no, absolutely not. Yeah, that's the answer we were looking for. Good answer. Go Cubbies. How dare you? No, no. We're Cubs <laughs> haters on this show. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm trying to make our guests feel welcome here. What can I say? Uh, Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> so we, uh, we talked about training. We talked about buying cards. So let's just briefly go over the scarcities, which I guess we should have done a little earlier. But the scarcities... But this, no, this I, is the I right think... time to talk about it because this yeah? is like... Okay. This is where... You, this is the type, this is the different contest, basically. These are these right. are the contests, yeah, based on the scarcities. And it informs how you buy, which is what I want to speak on after you go through explaining. Excuse me, though. No, you're good, because that was just going to be my lead-in, is what is a scarcity and, and uh, why does it matter? Well, it's, there. We, we you heard us talking about it, limited, rare, super rare, and unique. If you've read any of the materials that SoRare put out, you kind of know, like, Limited means there's 5,000, uh, up to 5,000 mints of a guy. And I, they're probably not going to get all 5,000 cards out to the market this year. They're not even going to try this year. Even next year, they probably won't. Uh, limited would be 5,000. Rare would be 1,000. Then uh, I'm getting myself... 100. Super, super rare 100 and then 100. 1. Yeah, and then yeah. unique. Yeah, sorry. In soccer, it's different. That's why Yeah. for a second. But like, in soccer, they do 1,110 for limited, rare, super rare. Here, it's 5,000, 1,100 which is cool because there's fewer baseball players than soccer players in the game. So you need those extra cards to expand the game. All that's well and good. But the thing of it is, is that we know this from the soccer world. They never, they hardly ever get to the full, what you would call the full mint. Like there's supposed to be a hundred rare cards every season of every, every soccer player in the game. They oftentimes don't even get to 50 because they're just, you know, they kind of mint on like a randomized semi-algorithmical schedule. They, they, they're pushing these cards into auction and they never just, they never quite get to full capacity basically is the way, the word I would use. So I expect we're going to see that in MLB for sure. 
they pr- they're promising up to up to five thousand or one thousand of these limited and rare cards. But I'll be surprised if if very many players get the full complement of a thousand cards, even in twenty twenty three season. This year, they're not even yeah. going to try to get half of that. But so that that's important to know is that like even though it's like I'm looking at you know a guy that says one of a thousand, number one of one thousand, but it may turn out that by the end of the season, there's actually only about. 250 of this guy's cards available and it's it's kind of random it's not necessarily by design but it's just they they can't really they would have to be doing like multiple auctions every second they'd have to be closing auctions like every second or something to to get you know this this full capacity so that's one thing to know is that sort of creates some of the quirks inside the game it's sort of it kind of you know we love about one thing we love about baseball is that every baseball diamond is different you know has its own dimensions and and it, it has its own flavor and in that same way, that sort of principle will come over to cards and there'll be certain guys that might, you know, you might get, there might be a guy who's like a youngster who comes on and becomes like a really good player in the second half of a season that was like a prospect. And because so rare was like slow to get him, his supply into the system, even though his rare card is supposed to get, you know, 500 mints this year, he may only get a 15 or 20. So like, you know, there's, there's going to, so then everyone who plays the game and really sort of knows the ecosystem and gets really digs into it is going to know that so-and-so, even though they are supposed to have 500 rares, actually only has 15 of them or, or things like that. And so it kind of like is going to give the game its flavor, but you can't really skip your way to that. You just sort of have to go live life every day and, uh, and, and then look back in the end and see how it all developed. I want to get into a little bit of how the scarcities define the contest you can enter because right now for the the next couple of weeks it's all just common contests that you, you're only going to use the common cards you were given for free at the sign up but we're buying cards be, in anticipation of a couple of weeks when we're going to have some scarcity based contests to enter you want to run through those they said that they were going to have basically a limited and it was going to kind of ramp up as we got more cards on the market right. and they were going to get harder and harder like they were, the scarcities were going to get higher and higher as we go <laughs> The way I believe um, it is, is that the, the limited scarcity, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, as you call up that blog post is, is you would put up to, you could put seven limiteds in limited, but you can also slide in some rares for a little bit higher scoring bonus. So you can put four limited and three rares, I believe in the limited division. And then you go up, I think you could put four rare and three uh, super rare in the super rare division. Yeah. And so it's kind of playing or, down. It's kind of right, playing down. Right. You can yeah. you can mix in some lower scarcities to play up at the higher division, basically. But the, the main point I want to make, because those will change as this game, you know, in mm-hmm. six months, you know, when next season starts, I think they're going to completely revamp the scarcity rules for all their contests. I'm, I'm quite certain yeah. that's going to happen. I think this is just sort of an experimental system they've got up now. But the main thing that I want to get across to people who are new and who don't know SoRares don't come in here, like target a scarcity, decide yes. where, where you want to play and then build your collection and your teams and your, your, my cards and your gallery along those lines. So if, if I come in and say, all right, I'm going to focus on the limited division. It's, it's more competitive because there's more people in it, but the cards are cheaper and it's within my budget and I'm going to go limited. So then make sure you're only buying limited cards and then mix in maybe a few rares to sort of help yourself progress. But what you don't want to do is be like, oh, well, uh, I'm Alec and I love the Cubs and uh, I could get this guy's rare, but but it looks better in blue. You know, I'm a cub, cubby blue. You know, I, I want the blue version, you know, uh, because it looks cool. And then you find out that you spent, you know, 500 bucks on a super rare card 
and you only have one of them and you can't really even enter the super rare contest division because you're going to have to go spend 500 bucks three or four more times on guys that you're not as sure of. So like make sure that you're not just like thinking that the, the, the card scarcity differences are clearly uh, cosmetic and, you know, just for, for looks because, because the, the eligibility rules for contests that are tied to the card scarcities are very uh, important. Yeah. And um, actually kind of a, a question I just thought of kind of, you know, continuing off of that. Um, if you could kind of touch on the strategies between the, let's say, you know, limited and a super rare, um, I believe you said it was called the tournament was the the entry that you would submit a lineup in kind of the different strategies for that. Obviously, you know, everyone's going to want to go after the the Ronald Acuna's, the Shohei Otani's, but as far as kind of building the, you know, I guess the back half of your lineup of those guys that are um, in the lineup every day and I'm kind of going mm-hmm. from there, if you could kind of touch on the the different strategies, if there are any you know, between the different levels or scarcities. Well, I think it's kind of depends on your budget and your goals. It, like if you want to just focus on the, the limited division because of your budget concerns allows you to buy what you consider better players, you know, uh, and you can be more competing more competitive and have like higher scores per, per se because you got more stud players and you paid less for them. The, the, the trade-off on that, the compromise is that that's what most people will do. And so you're going to be competing in a, a more packed uh, full division where everyone's competing. And just by the nature of the way math works is that the more people in a contest, the higher score that's generally going to be required to win the contest. That's just kind of how it goes. So if you don't mind, you know, trying to become the big, the, the big fish in the big pond, then go for the limited and, and get, you know, get your Otani's, get your Acuna's, get your Solaire's and, and, and throw them in limited and, and go big with those guys. The the advantage of trying to play the higher scarcities and, and paying out a little bit more for more scarce cards, a rare or a super rare version and, and going for those is you're going to have, you're going to be competing, competing against fewer people. You'll probably be able to win a higher, you know, tier of prize with a lower score at a higher division compared to the limited because there's fewer people competing. And so lower scores can be a little more viable and the prizes will be better. You'll, you'll in the super rare division, you'll win super rare prizes, let's say, or I think, or, you know, or better rares so that you can then sell on the secondary market, or at least, you know, have keep for a while and just assume that's kind of value in your, in your collection. The limited card divisions are great because you can win, you know, you can win the same guys, but just they don't sell for quite as high as on a resale value in the market. So it's kind of like define your budget, define your goals, and then sort of you really almost what I would say is you want to know the like the first 10 cards that you plan to buy before you buy one, if that makes sense. Like you really want to like outline, okay, a, a few targets. Like I want to get the one through five hitters on the Cubs because I love the Cubs. And then you know, I got to get Aaron Nola, even though he's, you know, a rival because he's just such a great pitcher. And then I, I don't want my Cubs to be facing any of my pitchers. So I'm going to go get a bunch of American, you know, American league pitchers, you know, obviously they have interleague play, but you know, you, that might be a strategy as you make sure you don't get pitchers within your same division so that then your pitchers aren't going against your hitters all the time and stuff like that. So I don't know. I don't know if that answered your question, but that, that's just some more expanded thoughts. What do you think, Chris? I've been talking so much on this thing. <laughs> no, it's been, it's all been really, really good. And I think that's a good point that basically 
at the lower divisions, you kind of need the Otanis and the Acunas to really compete at a high level. Whereas at the higher divisions, you can kind of get away with some of the not lesser cards, but some of the guys that are a little more boom or bust. If they have a boom game, then sometimes you can you can hit something nice, and then all of a sudden you have a you have a massive prize coming your way. So it, it's definitely a trade off. And I would say so. I, I've gotten this. I've gotten advice both ways, right? I've gotten advice of shoot higher than you than you think you should because you you can always come back down. But I've also got be a big fish in a small pond. Um, so you kind of, you, you want to get, you don't want to get the lowest low tier of, of player that you can afford at any given level. Like if I can only afford, you know, a thousand dollars and the absolute worst super rare cards cost 200 a piece, I probably don't want to go to super rare because I'm just going to get the worst players. I'm never going to win anything. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go to either rare or, or even limited and actually have a chance to win something with some, you know, mid to high tier type cards. So I think, and, and definitely the lower that you go, the higher that you need to have as far as a level of card in your gallery to compete on a, on a weekly basis. Um, so I would say that's, that's definitely something to keep in mind as you're, as you're kind of building your teams and as you're kind of building your gallery. Let's talk a, a little bit about, you know, there's obviously seven different positions that, that you need to build. Do you just want to buy seven players? Do you want to go and get two at each position? Do you want to go and get... 45 for one lineup like where is that kind of happy medium for you as far as um getting enough depth but not like you can have too much depth so i've basically considered i've been all across the spectrum as i haven't i have not bought any cards yet by the way you guys are i have put some bids in i have put some bids in but i haven't bought anyone yet i i was out bid and i there was one guy i actually wanted but then the, the site crashed in the middle of the auction and it's back up now but that was kind of early but i've thought a lot about what I want to do. I've thought about my strategy. I've gone from all ends of the spectrum where I was like, well, I'm just going to buy and limited and buy super studs. And then I started thinking about it more. I was like, well, maybe I'll ch- actually just chase the b- bigger prizes and get, you know, invest in a super rare team. And then I've also thought to answer your question more directly, I thought, how many people do I want? Do I want to s- stock up a big stockpile of hitters and be able to play matchups and just buy like a few pitchers and have a small stable of pitchers that I rely on? Or then I kind of thought about it more and I was like, well, maybe I actually want to like have a lot of pitching options and really shell out and spend big on pitchers who are studs. You know, if you look in the scoring, the pitchers generally have like the most, the safest high number, the the highest floor is what I would say. You know, hitters have a way higher ceiling in in good spots, but hitters can get a zero very easy. So I've, I've been all over the map and I think what I finally have settled on, if I put some numbers to it, I think... This is just today. This could change again, but I think I want to have about a stable of about 10 hitters. I want to have 10 hitters that I feel like I can always put in a lineup at any time and be able to mix and match them. But then I really, I want to have probably 10 starting pitchers also. I I think I want to have as many as 10 starting pitchers. Maybe, maybe that's overkill. You tell me if you think that's too much depth, but then I want to have, you know, uh, probably between three and five relievers after that, because I plan ultimately to be playing starting pitcher in my flex spot a lot. And we've talked about in the last week's episode about how these guys are not going to go in back to back. Uh, They're not going to go twice in a game week. Sometimes there's going to be times where a guy might miss a game week just based on how his spot in the rotation winds up is that he's just not available for a certain game week and whatnot. So, uh, and he might miss two in a row even at times. So uh, I want to have a lot of pitching depth because that's the way I think I can be the most versatile 
Uh, what about you? Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna go probably not quite as heavy on starting pitching because I'm not gonna play matchups quite as hard. I feel like you're gonna you're gonna get a chance to really play matchups, but I always feel like when I have too many options, I always end up making the wrong selection. <laughs> so I want to give myself like a few guys that I am a little more confident with, I guess, and kind of have less options. You will need a stable though. I would say five minimum. Because if you have five options in any given game week, you're probably going to have two, maybe three, and you're probably going to want to put them both in your lineup. So I would say five is probably the minimum. As far as hitting goes, let's see, there's what, five five spots? Four spots right, for hitters? Think, yeah. Four yeah. spots. Four spots in a flex. I would probably play when the flex. I, I would probably have like two at each position, I think, and, and just roll with that and and go with my top five, top four out of eight, basically. Mm-hmm or four out of, I guess that'd be four out of six. So maybe like seven or eight total. But the other thing is if, if they end up like, you know, mixing and matching, you could, you could also have, you know, some limited cards and then you could buy a couple of rare cards and then stick a, stick a lineup in rare. If you have extra cards, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. there, if, if there are more options as far as, tournaments that you can enter then you want to have kind of a larger because on soccer we're getting all kinds of tournaments that you can enter basically anything in so my depth has grown exponentially in the last couple of months just because there i can use it so it'll be really interesting to see how this and this is something that i think will develop too as, as we kind of get more of the strategy and get more of the meta i think we'll kind of figure out what the right size is um, now, Alec, did did you have a question? Because I saw you raised your hand here virtually, so I don't I don't know how to do that, but you did it somehow. Yeah, I did actually. Um, so, kind of going back to the um, starting pitchers and the game plan, I was kind of waiting to hear what um, both of you had as far as input on that. So, kind of helps that you know you both were on opposite sides of it. Um, but kind of with the with the starting pitchers, you know, obviously they're only throwing um, once a week, maybe twice if they're throwing Monday and Sunday. Um, but kind of if what would be the you know, strategy if you're kind of loading up on starting pitching, because if you load up on, you know, a lot of those aces, a lot of those guys typically throw either on the same day or within the same, you know, game week, either the Monday through Thursday or Friday to Sunday, you know, kind of what would be the strategy be for, you know, building kind of your, your second tier of starting pitchers? Do you kind of want to, you know, simply load up on those, those aces and really kind of for that first half of the game week, put one at the super flex or, and then kind of for the um, the second game, we kind of load that up with a hitter or kind of balance that out. So it's a mix of aces and then middle rotation guys as well to kind of have that fair balance of starting pitching, you know, either at your super flex for both game weeks or kind of mix it where, you know, for one of your game weeks, you're doubling up on pitchers and the other, you simply just have the one starting pitcher. That is an absolutely excellent question. And one that I probably don't have the right answer to, but Bob and I were talking about this and a good friend of the show, orange fly. We were talking about this a little earlier and how being the ACE of a staff is nice, but he's right. Like you're typically going to pitch on the same day, unless you get some weird rotations. You can, you can have some rotations that are a little off, but you are typically going to pitch on the same day, which means you could load up with everybody who all pitches one game week and then have nobody for the next game week. So I think you're going to see some of like the bigger teams, like the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Braves that have, what should be aces like put up good numbers, but they're actually the three for that specific team. I think that almost has a little bit extra value because they're probably going to pitch on those quote unquote off game weeks um, where 
you know, all the big Scherzers and Verlanders will be off. And then my number three pitcher, who's really an ace, is going to be starting. I think that can actually give you a really big competitive advantage. Um, but what are your thoughts on on that one? Yeah, I'm, I'm almost just you can maybe you'll just you guys will end up thinking I'm really naive in this. But I just feel like with staggered scheduling and the way injuries kind of throw rotations off and stuff like that, I'm just kind of trusting that if I go get four aces or five aces from five different teams that I'm always going to have at least one in both, in both the, the Monday through Thursday game week and the, the weekend game week. I just, I haven't, maybe I, sh- maybe that's just naive of me. Like I said, maybe I need to be digging in a little more nitty gritty. Uh, but I feel like I want to load up on aces and just trust, trust that my, my guys will be there for me when I hit the, uh, the Friday game week. But I, I do think there is some value in, in getting a good number, number three or number four guy. A, a lot of times they, they can still have great outings, you know, it's oh, like, yeah. they're still major leaguers. So you're, right. you're, you're still going to need to get lucky. Like it's still fantasy sports and uh, we'll see what happens. But I am going to just more target quality pitchers and not worry quite as much about the details of where they're at in the rotation and just trust that I'm going to have someone each game week. And uh, if I don't, then I'll go buy a new one. And definitely where we are right now too, with the all-star week, I know a lot of teams reset rotation. So we'll probably get a lot of ACE versus ACE on, right. uh, on what is it Friday that it comes back? I guess there's some mm-hmm. games on Thursday. Um, but yeah, I, I think maybe right this second, it's probably going to be a lot more, but you're right with teams using four man rotations and six man rotations and injuries and all this stuff. It, it may not end up being an issue, but um, I do think there's maybe a little bit because you can have some teams that have, you know, multiple big arms, especially, you know, you get into a playoff series, you got to have at least three big arms that you trust to go and close out a game. So, um, yeah, I think that that's an interesting point and maybe one that'll will be a little bit more. Uh, we can dive into more at a later time when we have a little bit more data. Um, now, I want to ask Alec actually a question because he's he's obviously a big baseball guy. And with Sobre, you kind of have, and we've been talking about this, so he's not completely, you know, I'm not completely putting him on that spot, but um, you kind of have some of those guys that have huge ceilings. They can have the big games, you know, a couple home runs and five RBI, or for a starting pitcher, they can go go out and just completely dominate. Um, but they can also have some like lower floors versus some guys that have some higher floors and uh, and maybe don't have that top end, you know, absolutely explosive game. Um, so I want to, I want to kind of put Alec on the spot a little bit here and, and try to see if we can get maybe a couple of examples so that it'll kind of click. Cause he, you know, everyone listening to this should have some idea of baseball. Um, so maybe a couple players that are, are some good ceilings and some good floors, like high ceiling guys and, and high floor guys that we can kind of, kind of dis- discuss, cause there's different ways that you go about using these, these kind of guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, kind of to start with the, with the high ceilings, um, you know, I'll use Kyle Schwarber as an example. Um, you know, he was in the home run derby last night. <laughs> Not a high um, ceiling guy, there. You know, was, yeah. Uh, last night was, uh, was definitely tough to watch as a, a Cubs fan, especially to see him lose to a, uh, you know, a St. Louis Cardinal and Albert Pujols. But um, did you, did you think a, he actually lost though? Because apparently ESPN miscounted and it should have been a tie. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that this morning. I uh, woke up to Twitter, you know, talking about how ESPN missed, I believe it was actually two of his home runs. Um, but I mean, either way, can't really, can't blame it on that. Still had a, you know, same amount of time to, to hopefully hit more, just, uh, just didn't work out. Um, but, you know, using him as an example, it's a, a ton of home runs, obviously not last night, but, 
um, you know, hits a ton of home runs during the season, but you look at his batting average and his batting average is only, you know, I believe it's 208 last I looked. So um, for him, it's really kind of a, a boomer bust. So, you know, you could be getting a, a great game week out of him if he, you know, kind of gets a hot streak and just gets a good matchup and hits a couple home runs. But you also could get a game week where he's putting together maybe two or three points, possibly even a negative for um, one specific game, just you know, obviously with losing points for strikeouts. So um, I think kind of looking at those guys that really are, you know, strictly power hitters. So, you know, Dan Vogelbach, the first baseman for the Pirates, and he plays a designated hitter as well is kind of another example. You know, those guys that really their only goal in the lineup is to simply hit the ball out of the ballpark. You know, not really great fielders, which fielding stats aren't included and so rare, but they're not going to get stolen bases. They're not just going to simply put the ball in play. You know, you're looking to simply drive runs in and that's it. So kind of looking at guys like him, whereas you're going to have, you know, kind of your more consistent guys, um, for example, a, a Trevor story, for example, the um, second baseman shortstop for the uh, Boston Red Sox, where, you know, still has that home run power, but he's kind of more well-rounded as a player. Um, he's going to hit a lot of singles and doubles. He's going to drive in runs. He's going to score runs being at the top of the lineup each day. So it's kind of trying to find that, you know, that good balance of, you know, is it worth it to, you know, to risk putting in a guy where, you know, I may get five points out of him for a game week. I also very well could get 50 if he hits three home runs. So, you know, trying to kind of find that, that equal balance there. And I think a lot of it is, especially um, as we talked about earlier with ballparks being, you know, different dimensions, you know, kind of looking at as crazy as it sounds where he's going to play, you know, mm -hmm. for example, the uh, Baltimore Orioles moved their left field wall back a couple of feet this year and raised it because they're not a home run hitting team. So, you know, teams like the New York Yankees who are known for just this incredible power, it's letting the Orioles stay in games, you know, judge and um, Stanton who are used to hitting, you know, moonshots out of Yankee stadium are now just a simple fly out to the warning track. So kind of really playing the matchups and looking at some of those weird, um, stadiums, you know, Fenway, for example, with the green monsters. So, um, kind of playing the matchups with the, uh, with the stadium as well as what team they're actually playing as well. So how would you kind of trip and how would you use these two players differently or which would you rather have, or I, I'm not going to say completely Trevor story versus Kyle Schwarber, but like these two archetypes of players, like how do you kind of fit them into your lineups differently? Just the way I play fantasy is, that I just am just, I don't know, I can't help myself, but I, I want to prioritize floor and, and consistency. You know, sometimes I chop my own upside a little bit because I'll lean towards, you know, a doubles hitter or a singles hitter or whatnot over a guy who strikes out a ton, but maybe hits a few extra dingers. And I guess it's just because I'm going for like predictability and re repeatability. You know, I've been playing fantasy sports so long that I'm just looking for like the consistent points and, I don't, that's just my style. I I think that comes down to a matter of styles. And it's just like when it comes down to those, this player versus that player decision, it's what do you feel most comfortable with? What do you, how do you want to go with it? And it really gets into, you know, like some hardcore fantasy, like decision-making, but like, I, I love what you said there, Alec, about, you know, paying attention to not just the opposing pitcher that a guy may be facing, but also what ballpark they're going to be in, how that affects their, their hitting ability, especially with their handedness and short porches and either left or right field and all those things. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's just a matter of, of what makes you feel most comfortable when it comes to the showdown. Like you said, you got to put, uh, you got to make a call on which guy to put in the lineup. I'm going to be the one that leans more towards the Trevor story type of archetype that you just described, Alec, and not necessarily the, the big swinging, uh, 
home run uh, slugger. Yeah. And to kind of go off that as well, um, you know, using, I guess, bringing scarcity and training into that, you know, how, depending on how you play. So for example, you know, you mentioned that you're kind of looking at more of the, the consistency part of it. Um, if you have a kind of a boomer bust, who's a higher scarcity and therefore going to get you more, you know, points at each um, threshold, are you kind of looking to find a way to get them into the lineup or kind of stick really to your gut and um, you know, your main game plan style of, you know, I typically play consistent. That's kind of what I'm going to put regardless of the scarcity of each card. Yeah. I think with scarcity specifically, I think, the higher the scarcity, the more you can kind of go with Trippin's um, philosophy and kind of go more high floor because mm-hmm. you'll have a lot more chance to compete with a high floor as opposed to a limited. You have to put up a big number to get into rewards at, at the lower scarcities. So you kind of want more of that, that bigger, you know, style guy, the, the more Schwarber type of a, type of a guy. Um, so, yeah, I think the scarcity does play into it a little bit, but again, it's, it's personal style. Like however you want to play, um, like I said before, yeah, there's, there's a, a ton of different ways to skin the cat, right? You can, you can trade, you can play, uh, for rewards. You can play for just getting as many rewards as possible. You can play for trying to hit podiums and get the really, really big rewards. So, I mean, there's, there's a ton of different ways to play this game and that's kind of what makes it, you know, special. That's kind of what makes it awesome in its own little way is that you can really personalize it your own way. I, I agree. And the, the one thing is we're playing with, with uh, once these contests get going, it's going to be uh, mixed scarcity, right? You're going to have uh, the limited division is all limited, but in the rare division, you can, you can mix three limited cards in and maybe, so let's say you're playing the rare division with four rares and three limiteds is how they've got it. Maybe you put your, you know, let's say, and let's say you have an, uh, a gallery, this for our sake of argument of, the entire Cubs lineup, one through nine in rare and limited. And you have everyone at your disposal that you can put in. Who do you want to put in and what? I think because the rare cards have a higher bonus than the limited, then I would put my home run hitters, I would put my sluggers, my high upside guys in the rare versions there with the hot and try to just capitalize if they spike. If my guy hits four home runs in a three-game series, I'm going to be making the most out of that big score with the higher bonus. And, I'll, and my floor players, my consistency guys, my, you know, singles, walks, stolen bases, runs type players, those are the ones that I'll put in the limited version when I'm doing a rare contest, when I'm doing a, mix, a mixed scarcity. So I'll, I'll try to leverage my bonuses. If I'm getting a higher bonus from a rare card, then I'm going to take a little bit bigger chance on a guy who can put up a big score so that the score gets even bigger with that bigger bonus, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think kind of, as you mentioned, just finding that, you know, bigger balance across, um, you know, all cards. And, um, you know, I think what really makes, you know, fantasy sports as well, and that's kind of how I'm, I'm attacking Sober as well is, you know, it, it really comes down to, you know, how you play, what lineup you're comfortable with. If you want to, you know, just fill a lineup of guys that are going to hit home runs and just take your chance, then, you know, by all means, that's, you know, that's what you're able to do. And that's what makes it so fun. So um, I think a lot of it is, is kind of skill and finding those players, but it also, you know, it's just, it's very luck based on if a guy gets hot at the right time, you know, you could find yourself at the top of the leaderboard. And, you know, if a guy is an off week, even though it could be, you know, a Juan Soto, Aaron Judge, those, you know, big name players, you know, everyone's going to find a slump at some point. So, you know, I think something is also just kind of, you know, don't panic when some of these guys, you know, have a, have a down week or have a couple bad games in a row, you know, just because, you know, it's bound to happen in baseball. It's, it's 162 games. It's a long season. It's a grind and, you know, everyone's due for it at some point. 
Well, think about Chris, the tilt that we go through playing uh, so rare soccer, where like you have a guy who has like a one bad week and you have to sit there and think about it. Like, man, do I trust this guy? Do I want to unload him? Is it time to put him for sale on the market to phase him out of my plans, et cetera, et cetera. And now with baseball, you're going to be dealing with that every single day. You know, it's like, ah, oh, my guy's 0 for 4 in the first day of the game week. And I have to stare at this guy in my lineup and I can't take him out for two more days. Like, what is going on? I got to sell this guy. Like, uh, it's it's driving me nuts. And it's kind of funny. One thing we never mentioned, but we should have, is that once a lot, once a game week locks, like you put your, your lineup in for the game week on Monday and it's locked and the contest has started, the tournament, then you can sell cards that are in that lineup you can post them on the secondary market and sell them off to other people and they will leave your gallery, but they won't go out of your lineup. Your lineup is locked for that game week that you won't lose them until the next game week, which is very helpful, but it's going to increase the tilt. Like I said, because if you got a hitter who's been slumping and you've been kind of wishy-washy on them anyway, and they take a golden sombrero on day one of the game week, first game of the series. And you're like, uh, is the manager going to pull this guy from the lineup tomorrow? Like, uh, like I'm tilting. And you might post someone for sale because they had a really bad game one of the series and then they hit a homer in their first at bat in game two of the series. And then they go, Oh my God, I got to get this guy off the market now because I actually don't want to sell him anymore. And that's really where a lot of the ownership fun, like the thing of so as you said, Chris, uh, many ways to skin a cat, many ways to get fun and enjoyment out of the game. You can enjoy collecting your favorite team. You can enjoy playing the fantasy game. You can enjoy playing the market. You can enjoy the tilt as crazy as that sounds of like, just like agonizing over your decisions. There's just, there's just so many different ways to get something out of this platform, which is why it's so great. And I'm the absolute opposite of that, right? Like I will take a guy, okay, he's hit two dingers. His price is now up. Okay. Time to get him out. I'm trying, I'm trying to sell him, trying to move him on. There's probably somebody else who's over 14 that I can pick up that I know next week is going to go and hit three dingers and his price will be up. So that's kind of my, my strategy, um, at least with server soccer. And I'm sure it'll be the same way with server baseball. And it leads to a lot of uh, a lot of nice profits on trades, but not necessarily any decent rewards because, you know, you kind of need guys to be hot in order to put up some big numbers. You don't typically have all of your lineup just suddenly get hot in the same game week. That's not typically how it works. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's some trade off to that as well. You can kind of go for the trading aspect or the or the rewards aspects. I think maybe kind of the last thing that we should kind of close with and, and wrap things up with here. Um, it's just kind of the card design itself and some of the different features that are on the cards themselves um, that people may not, you know, know about or may not, you know, kind of understand. Um, so the uh, the card itself obviously has the start off with the color, right? The color tells you what scarcity it is. It's either gold, red, blue, or black. Um, and then it'll have what number the card is on the card itself. Now, this is something that Alec actually figured out uh, a little earlier today. Do you want to tell him what you figured out about the cards earlier today, Alec? Yeah. So I was looking, um, obviously, right when the marketplace opened, I noticed that um, every card actually where it says um, what mint it is. So the, you know, the number of card out of how many they're going to produce, it was all circled and highlighted, um, which I kind of figured was just because it was, you know, the first card of each. So it kind of makes it special. Um, and just as, you know, more cards started to release, was just kind of scrolling through, um, obviously looking for whatever Cubs players I could find. Um, but I noticed that there were a lot of other cards where um, kind of random number uh, mints were circled as well. So kind of started to do more research and look into it more um, and noticed that they're actually highlighting the 
um, mint of the card of whatever player that number, whatever number that player wears. So for example, uh, Nico Horner, who is the uh, shortstop for the Cubs wears number two. So his number one card was, was highlighted as it is the first of the mint. Um, but his number two was also because it was his Jersey number. So I think kind of from the um, collecting standpoint, that's going to be something that'll be really interesting to follow as well um, to see what the price of those cards will be, because those, you know, while the scoring will be the same, you know, as a, as a collector and just as a fan of the game, that would be a cool card to have. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how those Jersey number mints compare to, you know, just kind of the standard mint for each card as well. Yeah. That's a really, really good point there. And, and you can see it. If you look at one of the one of a thousand or one of 5,000 or one of a thousand or whatever, and then look at a card that's like two of 5,000 or two of or whatever, you'll see the difference on the actual where it says one out of a thousand. It's like a little circle and a highlight there. So yeah, it's a really cool little thing. So if you want to be that collectible guy, you want to go for like Jersey numbers, they've kind of circled it out and made it very easy for you to figure out what their Jersey number is in that season. Um, another cool thing they have is obviously the year one edition at the bottom, which I really, really like. And then as you're looking at the card in your gallery, there's a couple of numbers underneath the card. Um, so there's one number that's kind of circled in gray and it's either going to be last 15 or last five. I'm assuming last 15 for it, baseball. It was 15 in baseball. Yeah. In soccer. It's five. Yeah. Yeah. They, they have it as five in soccer, but 15 for baseball. And then they also tell you the percentage. Um, we talked about XP before and how that translates to a bonus for your card. Um, so they have the percentage listed down there and you'll see that kind of grow as the game weeks go on and your card gets more XP. And then obviously it has the price that you bought it at and, and whatever you choose to, to show and, and whether it's dollars or, or ETH or euros or however you want it to show, it'll, it'll show the price underneath it as well. Um, but yeah, that's just basically general uh, stuff about the card. I think there, there's rookie logos on, on the rookies as well, mm -hmm. right? Yes, yeah. there are. That's what I thought. So, yeah, I, I think that's just the basic stuff about the card there. So, so that you kind of know what everything is as you're looking at it. Do you miss in soccer, in, and it, you may not miss this, Alec, you don't know what you're missing. Chris, I wonder if you miss. In soccer, it shows the jersey number and the age of each player on the front of the card. You can quick reference. In soccer, there's a division specifically for under 23 players, which does not exist in yeah. baseball. And so I just wonder, like, that's probably why they didn't feel the need to put the age. And then I, that, that highlighted, like, the little highlighted um, oval around the – mint number on a jersey mint was something cool that was a good thanks for pointing that out because yeah. i've not seen before alec but do you miss chris uh having the age of the player and the jersey number also printed on the front of the card 1000 percent. i can't tell how old these guys are by looking at them right. so i have to like go and look it up now um in order to to see it but that's just a that's just a basic kind of thing i mean it, there aren't that many players so i figure we'll kind of you know, we'll kind of understand who's mm -hmm. older and who's younger as we go. But also, like, uh, I'm kind of coming coming back into the sport a little bit after a couple of years away, and I'm like, that guy is that old now? Oh my goodness! <laughs> right. I remember right. when he broke into the league. Like, this guy shouldn't be old. I'm picking up like guys that that should be really young, and they're like 35, and I'm like, geez. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, uh, you know, the, uh, in soccer, I'm famous for I, I. It's not the official name of my team, but I always joke with my friends like. I'm FC Leonardo DiCaprio, man. If you're over 30, I don't want you on my club. You know, like I, I do not want over 30 year olds on, on my uh, soccer team at all. It's a very highly demanding physical sport where you have to run for 90 minutes. And it's just, I don't mess with the old guys, maybe on a goalkeeper or two, but here age is not as important. You know, guys can play 
uh, and be effective in, in baseball to a more advanced age than I think they can in soccer. So I do miss it a lot today. I don't know if I'll miss it as much going forward. Hopefully I don't, hopefully it doesn't uh, bother me in a couple of weeks. I mean, yeah, look at Miggy Cabrera still producing like crazy at, at what mm-hmm. is he, 39, 40 years old now? So it's, it's and, absurd. You know, you notice so rare pumped out that unique, the, the unique. I called that by the way on Twitter. Ready. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Me and Alec were talking about that and I posted on Twitter. I was like, I know who this is. And I, I just assumed that they would give me the card since I got it right. But no one has reached out to me yet, which is really odd. So yeah, that was a ton of information. Did you check here. your spam folder? They might've sent it to the spam. I folder, did not yeah. check the spam folder. That's a good one. I'll have to look at that after the show. <laughs> Um, so we covered a ton of information here, um, Alec, and obviously, you know, this is like a whole brand new game and it'll take a long time to learn. It took me probably six months to really grasp how to play soccer at a decent level. Um, so don't expect to learn this all in your first week, but as, as the stuff that we've covered here so far, is there anything that you want more clarification on? Is there any additional questions you've come up with? Um, is there anything you want the the lovely people at home to know? Uh, no, so actually, really, uh, really covered everything, which is great. You know, especially coming in as a, a complete outsider to so rare, uh, really hearing you or outside of you talking about you know what cards you won from your rewards. You know, really having having no idea how the marketplace worked, how game weeks worked, how tournaments worked, really anything like that. Um, thought this was great to really kind of get a, a a grasp on that and. Um, you know, really just uh, interesting also to kind of just talk strategy, you know, whether it's loading up on starting pitchers or, you know, kind of going for team consistency versus, you know, home run or bust. So um, just uh, really looking forward to, you know, launch day finally being here in the marketplace, being active and, you know, just looking forward to uh, this season and seeing where this all goes. First game week is this weekend. So we will get some rewards, obviously with common, everybody gets the reward. Um, I was also looking at the common reward structure. It's so different from what soccer is, which was really interesting. There's like tier one, two, three, and four. So I don't know if yeah. that, I don't know. Are, are they were like replacing tier zero with tier one? Is that the idea? Or is there a star tier above tier one? That's a, that's an excellent question that I don't know. I, I hope that that's not the case. Cause I like a tier being called a star tier just feels better. And I was hopeful that this tier four in baseball was kind of an experiment that might bleed back over to soccer. And they might, one of the yeah. biggest issues we have in soccer is that not all tier tier threes are created equal. It's tier three is basically anything below tier two. And so you can have some really good, valuable cards you can win as tier threes. And then you can have some really worthless ones. And Trash. it's like, man, I wish they would, I wish they would quantify a tier four here in soccer. So I was hoping that's what we were seeing in baseball, but yeah, you're right. I don't see star. I don't think they would be giving away a star limited in the common division. So I'm going to hold out hope that there's still a star. It is the first game week though. Coming up. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Maybe they want to show off like, Hey, this person won Shohei Otani off the first week with common cards. You know, and it kind of just the last thing I want to get into is just my love, hate relationship with so rare. Like I love the game. They've created a wonderful platform here, but I'm just very demanding of it also. And so like anytime there's anything that like, I don't like, I speak up about it. And so, and so, uh, I don't like getting rid of stars here. If, if that's the case, I hope that that it's not the case that, you know, there's other things. I don't like that. They launched this site without a search bar at the top or a, uh, a notifications bell. I think that they, the site, it obviously had to launch today. They had way too much promotional material. They're, there's no way they yeah. would be able to push it back, but I feel like they launched a, a slightly incomplete website that I know they're still working on, but that I don't really love about so rare. You're never happy with your, there's always someone got a better reward than you when it, you know, when it comes to, or, you know, I finished ahead of this person, but their card is worth, you know, 
0.2 ETH and mine is only worth 0.175. What the heck? Because they kind of randomize the rewards to, to remove um, the gambling aspect out of it. But, you know, there's, there's all these little things that are kind of like, you know, it's like an old married couple. You know, you have all these nitpicks of your spouse or whatever, but you're still married to them. You know, <laughs> it's not like you're, you're going anywhere. So I complain yeah. a lot about SoRare, but trust me, if I ever got uh, really pissed at him, I'd, I'd walk out the door. I'd call the divorce attorney. So I, <laughs> it's all in good fun. It's a great platform. It's a great game. I'm really excited for uh, the ability to get me back into baseball. Like we both are sort of in the same boat, Chris, in terms of being – uh, a few years removed from really being, we both kind of like drifted to, from baseball to soccer in recent years. Now it's time to like drift back. So uh, I can't wait. Yeah. I was telling, I was telling Alec a little while ago, like this is, I, I know what Sower has done to my soccer experience and mm-hmm. I know how much more deeply I enjoy the game and how much more deeply I appreciate the players and how much more I look into things. And realistically for me, Outside of the World Series last year, when the Braves were were winning the World Series, I haven't had that feeling of just like being a kid and just being in awe of baseball. I had that feeling during the World Series last year. It shouldn't take my team getting to the World Series or winning the World Series for me to get that like little kid like awe of baseball that I think we all grew up with and, and enjoyed. Um, and I think Sorare is a great way to where now. I have some ownership in in the game. I have some players that I want to follow very, very closely and some players that I'm literally invested in, not just emotionally, but literally invested <laughs> monetarily, in. monetarily, <laughs> literally invested in. So I think it's going to just bring back that whole spirit, that whole like vibe that I had um, during the world series last year. So I, I honestly cannot wait. Um, I'm interested kind of in, in your perspective, kind of coming in as a, as a newer guy, not, not really knowing what so rare can kind of provide. You've heard me blabber on about it for a long time. What are your expectations of it, Alec? Yeah. So I'm i I'm very excited, you know, as someone who's, you know, played fantasy baseball for years, always felt, you know, some attachment to the players, but it was just kind of a, Hey, if they, if they do well and I do well in my league, you know, great. If not, no big deal. But, you know, I think kind of, as you mentioned, having that monetary aspect to it really, you know, kind of forces you to, to pay attention more and to focus. And I think it also just, you know, connects you to the game more. And um, just kind of from the baseball side, you know, as a whole, you know, there's popularity is kind of on the decline a little bit. And, you know, there's all these new young and exciting players that are bringing flair to the game. They're bringing emotions. So, you know, I think that's kind of helping bring viewership back, but also kind of bringing the, you know, this fun new fantasy side to it as well as, is really going to help just grow the game as a whole and, you know, seeing how successful so rare has been with, uh, you know, the football side of it, I think, you know, bringing that over to baseball is just going to bring a, a whole new fan base and, you know, really just help grow the game all around. Yeah. So that's a, a really, really good point. And, and one that I hope everyone will kind of get to as we get deeper into this process. And obviously as we learn and grow and figure new things out about strategy, uh, you will want to follow along with us and, and make sure that you are caught up on all of that stuff uh, as we go throughout the rest of the fall here. Big, big thank you to our, our first ever guest, Alec Marovitz. So appreciate your time. Appreciate you being on the show. Um, any other, uh, any other advice or thoughts on, on, on Alec there, Dan? Daniel, sorry. No, just uh, just uh, dive in. Pick pick target which scarcity you want to go to. Set a realistic look at look at how these prices have gone the first day. Assume they'll they'll trend a little bit down, and then use that to set a budget for a good you know ten to fifteen cards that you know you want to target, and and set that that uh, that list before you you really even go by one. I think you'll be in a better spot for sure. 
and have fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of funny you mentioned go after the first 10 cards. I told Chris the first card I was going to buy was Anthony Rizzo, and you know I, I wasn't able to keep up on my promise there, but um, I know there's one expiring here, I think, in about an hour and a half or so. So um, definitely just going to be sitting on that market, just waiting for it. So um, don't, yeah, don't worry, I'll be bidding it. on that one. I'll be bidding on that one. <laughs> I'm sure. It'll just be me and Chris there. <laughs> It'll be like two ETH <laughs> for a limited. <laughs> All right. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. Appreciate everyone listening. Everything will be in the show notes as far as links to all of Alex's information. Um, until the next time, guys, have a wonderful rest of your week. We will see you next week. Thanks for having me on. 